study is One Love Live here. It's Love Walk, and I want to thank you for joining me. Um, I want us to jump back into the conversation that we were having. We're going to finish everything up in this Bible study. We're going to get some practical hands-on things that we can do in terms of our walk. And as you guys know, with uh, One Love Live here at Love Walk, we try to find practical ways to apply the Word of God in our lives so that we can bear fruit, so that we can live a more overcoming life, um, and so that we can, you know, be abundant in our life every single day. And as always, if you are not a believer and you want to become uh, a believer and you want to apply some of these lessons that we're learning here in this Bible study, there will be an opportunity for you to receive Christ at the very end of this broadcast. So while you are enjoying the Bible study, please definitely take notes. But at the end, if you are not yet become a believer, um, take some time to make the commitment. So let's get on with the Bible study today. Now, yesterday, in our last study, we were having the conversation about the divided mind, about the battle that we face between the law that is in our flesh and the law that um, we are hoping to attain, which is the law of God, which is what we work on daily. And so we had a chance to read in Matthew. We had a chance to look at some of the uh, scriptures And I'm going to take us back to our anchor text so that we can remember this. It is Romans chapter 7, verse 25. I'm going to read it here today. It says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So this is telling us about two laws that are at work right now in the earth, right now in our members. And that first law is the law of flesh. I'm sorry, it's the law of sin and that works in our flesh. And the second, of course, is the law of God. And we remember what the law of God is um, when we look down in Matthew. I'm going to quickly read that to you so you can remember what the law of God is. To remember when the lawyer or the attorney came to Jesus and said, you know, what is the greatest commandment, you know, in the law? And Jesus Christ responded to him. Let's look at what Jesus' response is about the law of God. So let's read it. It's in Matthew chapter 22 and 38. And he says in answer to him, this is the first and great commandment. And this this is the first. Oh, I'm sorry. We'll just go to Matthew 22 and 37. And he says, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like to it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. And on these two commandments hang all of the law and all of the prophets. You can read more about that in the Bible study entitled Love is My Religion. It really gives you a detailed understanding of how love and the law actually work together in lockstep, that neither one cancels out the other, but rather they underscore each other. So let's continue from where we started off. Now, where we last started off, we were looking at how we can apply this, how we can apply that law to what we're doing so that if you do one thing you have to ask yourself whether it fits the law of God and we just read what the law of God is and we have to ask ourselves you know whatever it is the thing that I'm choosing to do or I'm thinking about doing or 
this choice I'm making, we need to ask ourselves, does it fulfill and fit within the context of loving the Lord with my whole mind and my whole soul and my whole heart? And then secondly, will doing this thing fulfill and fit within the context of loving my neighbor in the same manner as I love myself? These are really important questions to make. And we looked at how having your treasure in heavenly places will make you sort of ask those questions because you're going to be thinking more about your father who is in heaven than just you know your appetites here on earth which is of course the law of sin which is in our flesh so remember at all times we are competing with the flesh and that's an important thing to understand we are competing with the flesh we are wrestling with the flesh and in fact the bible says that god is competing with the flesh too and i'm going to prove that to you i know that sounds like a very you know um sort of bombastic thing to say but i think you know we have to find it in the scriptures and this will tell us a lot of things about what's going on between mankind and god we're going to read in genesis chapter 6 verse 3 it says um and the lord said my spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years okay so we're seeing that the lord is striving with man he says i'm not going to always strive with him i'm not always going to strive with mankind so we're struggling with the flesh and God also is striving with us in the flesh so it's really important to understand what is going on you know double-mindedness you know doesn't just come from fear it does it comes from fear it comes from flesh and it comes from doubt doubt was a part of the snare that trapped Eve and eventually Adam in the garden you know it's really that that second voice that we talk about and that is why it's so important to understand that we're striving there is something going on between us every day of our lives when we live and if we don't acknowledge that then of course you know we can fall prey to a lot of things you know the bible says my people perish for lack of knowledge if you don't know how can you guard yourself against something how can you plan for it how can you prevent for it there's you know the old saying you know an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure and that really is true you know if you're able to prevent something from occurring rather than try to cure what has occurred it's just much easier than that you know we kind of see that with what's going on you know in terms of the pandemic the idea is to prevent it so that we don't have to cure it okay so we're going to read on and I want us to think about that. We're going to read this one more time. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. And it says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. Think about that. In this scripture, the Lord's spirit will not always strive with man. And, you know, it appears from this verse, when you look at it, that he actually shortened their days because of it. You know, if you look, you know, at how men used to live back in the days of Enos and, you know, a lot of the older, you know, patriarchs, they lived 800 years, 700 years. And so we're seeing that the Lord, you know, it looks like, you know, he kind of shortened their days. And this is actually the very same chapter, Genesis chapter 6 in which the Lord eventually decides to destroy all mankind off of the earth because of wickedness. 
But I want us to go back and I want us to read in context why the Lord got so upset about striving with man that he actually shortened it his days according to the scripture. If we read and we start in Genesis 6, 1, it says, And it came to pass when man began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. Look at that. Wow. So something went on here in this scripture that made God say, You know what? I'm going to cut your years down. I'm going to just... What you're doing right now is so completely against know who I am and my spirit and my striving with you that I'm going to cut your days down because it seems like you just can't do right and that's really what happens with mankind is that striving that goes on before we didn't have the power you know to really kind of you know strive successfully so let's let's look at that let's really look so what happened in Genesis 6 and 1 so we're going to look at Genesis 6, 1, where it says, and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth. I think it's important to understand that during this period, you know, at first there were a few men and now they're multiplying. You know, the scripture is telling us that there's becoming more and more humans on earth. And it says here that the sons of God saw the daughters of men and that they were fair. So God is saying he shortened their lives because of a kind of greed a kind of lust. Now we know there are only three things in the earth. And it's a, if you read in Genesis 2, it says the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were fair and they chose wives of all which they chose. Now that doesn't make sense. And I have to tell you guys, as much as I have liked the KJV, it really does a terrible job of translating anything in Hebrew. I don't know what was going on there. Some of it seems, you know, absolutely misleading because even in the scripture where it says the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that's not actually what it says. It says the sons, it says men saw the sons, um, I'm sorry, the daughters of God. So the daughters are actually said to be of God. It's saying men saw the daughters of God. It's important to read this sometimes, you know, if you can go back and you know, read a Bible in, in Hebrew or something with the translation, it gives you a better understanding of what's being said there. So basically, it's saying that men saw the sons, I'm sorry, the daughters of God and saw that they were fair and took wives of all which they chose. So that's not saying that, you know, God is upset because men are taking wives. And I think a lot of times, you know, we think that, you know, why would God be angry at a man taking a wife? Well, the reason we don't understand the scripture is not just because it's a poor translation, it's because we're not understanding the context of what is being said. The Hebrew actually calls the women daughters of God and not the men. So it's not saying the sons of God. And sometimes saying the daughters of God or the sons of God, it confuses people like there were two different kinds of people on the earth. And I think this makes people confused. Whereas remember, a son of God is someone who does the will of the Father. You know, you could say that you're a son of God. If you're a believer, you could say that you're a son of God. Didn't the Lord say that we became his sons and daughters? And didn't it say, ye are gods, but ye shall die as men? the scripture so we're looking at something that God is talking about in terms of the way that people are acting toward him so he's basically saying that you know you've got these men who are looking at those daughters of God 
And, you know, the men, if you will read, um, it's really talking about how they are behaving. You know, it says in 6 and 1, the men began to multiply and they took more than one wife. That's what that's actually saying. That scripture is actually pointing to a period in time in the history of the earth when men started to take more than one wife. And the Lord was saying, I'm competing with mankind now because these men are naturally beginning to do this. They're beginning to compete against the Lord. Their flesh is becoming what is foremost and not their will toward God. Um, And it was so bad. It grieved God so badly that he decided to shorten their lives because of it, you know, and why would God be so upset against polygamy? That's something that's practiced around the world and everywhere. But we're looking in context of scripture and we're seeing what God is saying about that. It's, it's upsetting to God because it destroys the image of God. Remember, God made man in his image. He created them male and female. He said the two would cleave together and become one flesh, one flesh. We even see later on how that the bride of Christ is actually um, sort of a picture of the marital union. So when you have a situation where you have a marriage and you have two people, which is the, the, the essence of the one God, of that one relationship between God and man, and we add another person to it, we actually sully that, we we dirty that, we adulterate it, you know, when something is unadulterated, it means there's nothing added to it, but when it is adulterated, it means something is added to it, and that's why they call this adultery, that's why it was called adultery, men didn't understand what that was until the law came, remember, this is pre-law, and the Lord is already looking at them, because remember, the Lord is looking at what? He's looking at our hearts, he's looking at our hearts, and that's why he could say, you know what? spirit is striving with men they're no longer you know portraying my image in the earth and that's really what the serpent was doing when he wanted Eve and he wanted Adam to eat that fruit because God is trying to have his image in the earth he created us in his likeness God does not like it when man mars the image even in Psalm 17 and 15 we learn that we ourselves will be satisfied when we are in his likeness, we ourselves will be satisfied. It's sometimes we forget that, that your life, your satisfaction, it really matters if you walk in the ways of the Lord and even you will be more satisfied. You cannot be like God with a double mind, a mind of flesh. A marriage cannot be a reflection of the church when it is defiled by joining others to it. When we add other things outside of God's ideas, we bifurcate the mind. God says we cannot receive from the Lord in such a state. Think about that. That's so powerful to understand. When we begin to sully or add in other ideas, that is when we have made our, we have changed the image of what it is that we need to be. Because remember, we are striving to be in his image. He created us in his likeness, in his image. And that is what we're striving to get back to that time before the fall, before sin. We're trying to get back to that space. So God has always been about oneness or wholeness. God's concept of oneness is complex and it involves agreement. 
So that's why he took the man and then he took woman out of him. And he, then he brought them back together. So you're talking about two people who actually are one. They started out as one. So it's not two, but it is one flesh. That's so powerful to understand. That's what we have to understand about God. When he wanted to create man, what did he do? He spoke to himself. He took man out of himself. That's why marriage is so important in terms of being a reflection of God. That's why our relationship with God is so important in terms of its oneness with him and agreement. And that is so important why double-mindedness is such an issue. Having a divided mind is a problem because we need to be one with Christ. We may have our own will, but we have to eventually turn it toward him. So I think that's very powerful to understand. Um, that God really is asking for us to have a oneness and a wholeness. He's always been about oneness. Um, I want us to think about even our triune God. He is a triune God. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. This is a complex idea that most people groups do not understand. Most religions don't even grasp. And this is really important to understand. You know, when we think about translation of the Bible, um, this is not an idea that was natural for the translators of um, the Old Testament, the translators of the Bible. We're talking about people who came from polytheistic, you know, traditions. Um, if you think about the animist kind of ideas that came from Europe and other places, there is no idea of a triune God. There's pretty much only one group I think of that actually has that. It's a historic group. It's called the Fang people. They're a Bantu African group or tribe, and they are the oldest group to actually have a triune God. So this is this notion of one God that is three in one is not something that is normal among most religions. Most religions have lesser gods, greater gods, um, you know, spirits. Um, some believe in, you know, ancestral spirits or, you know, spirits that dwell in animals and inanimate objects and trees. But this idea of a triune God is something that we have to understand. It is a three makes one, a wholeness that is very particular um, to the scriptures. So let's Let's understand this. God needs you in a great agreement. I want us to look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. And it says, Again, I say to you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the middle of them. Now that is Matthew chapter 18 verse 19 to 20. It's absolutely powerful to understand even when we pray with other people that we are in agreement. It's important that the people who are praying with you have the very same idea as you, that you're praying um, in a oneness, not just for what you want. The other person's praying for what they want. You have to have an agreement about what you're praying about. Think about what he's saying. When you pray in agreement, he is right there in the midst. So agreement is important. Let's go ahead and look at Amos chapter 3. Verse 3, it says, Can two walk together except they agree? If I want to go west, you want to go east. Is it possible for us to get to the to the destination we wish? 
no, agreement is absolutely important. This idea of oneness and wholeness is absolutely important. And that's so important for our mind. It's so important for us in terms of believers. What do you believe? You can't believe two things. You can't serve two masters. And you cannot walk together unless you agree. Let's also go down to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 4 and this here scripture I think is important because we have to remember that agreement and unity is an imperative in our life as believers a lot of times we don't talk about this but it's absolutely imperative on an internal level uh, and on a group unified level you know in a sense of um, you know group or togetherness or fellowship we need a oneness that's why it's important for everybody to be on the same page in terms of believing in the Lord. So let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. It says, Be you not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion has light with darkness? God is not just talking about marriage. He's talking about covenants. Often the term is used in regards to married people because the concept of marriage or a marriage covenant in Hebrew times was compared to yoking. It was considered yoking, you know, back in the day. A man and a woman were yoked together through the marriage covenant. And this scripture tells us plainly the constraints that would occur with two minds and one yoke. Even the Bible tells us that even when we look back to Jesus Christ, he says, take my yoke upon you. It is light. He's, see, it's that same comparison between marriage and our relationship with the Lord, that same comparison between yoking, you know. So here we have him saying, take my yoke upon you. He's saying, yoke yourself to me. You know, we're having this, you know, marriage situation in terms of your belief and agreement. You know, we see, um, we see this actually in marriages every day, um, but we also see it in people in their faith life. If two are hitched to one yoke, they both have to go to have the same mind in order for them to go anywhere, you know, and quite frankly, only one, I would say one of three things are going to happen if you have two people or that are yoked or two animals that are yoked. Let's think about oxen here. If you have two oxen that are yoked to one yoke, there's only three things that can happen. One they're going to wrestle and toil but never go anywhere and it'll be a wearing struggle that will defeat them both or two the stronger ox is going to overpower the weaker ox and drag him in the direction he wishes to go possibly injuring or killing the weaker ox or three the the will of both of those oxes will break the yoke the yoke and the ox will go their separate ways that's the only three things that can happen if there is an agreement underneath that yoke so we have to understand that when we're talking about believing the things of the lord and believing him to do certain things and having faith our belief is important but when you have a double mind and you have something else coming in it's literally separating your abilities to have faith in that one direction we saw that with peter when he was walking on the water so you have to ask yourself you have to be asking yourself some critical questions and you have to be aware of the function of your own mind what are you thinking about how long are you thinking about it what feelings are emerging as you are thinking these things 
you know, the Bible says in Proverbs 23 and 7, as a man thinks, so is he. If you read in context, we see the connection that thoughts have with the heart. We further understand what God means when he says, love the Lord your God with all of your mind and all of your heart. I want you to remember this really important point. The heart and the mind are like a tributary where one feeds the other one. I want you to remember that. It's like a tributary lake where one feeds into the other one. So let's look in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Let's go ahead and, you know, uh, find more evidence. It says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This is what's going to allow you, permit you to have a full faith in the Lord. It's not just what's in your mind, but also what is in your heart. And you have to understand that your mind is going to be feeding your heart as well. That's so important to understand. And we know that there are only three sins that beset us on this earth. And, and that is in John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, where it says, All that is in the world is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. It is not of the Father, but is of the world. The Bible is telling us the springs of life are in the heart. We want to know what the springs or the issues that are coming out of life, they're in the heart. And we see that these things are the only three things that threaten that spring from being bitter or sweet. And that is going to influence whether we have faith or doubt. So it's important for us to really guard our hearts, you know, don't let that second voice move you because there will always be a second voice that's going to question what the Lord said, that's going to question the word of God. The serpent in the garden is an excellent example. You know, in Eden, he was that second voice for Eve. He offered Eve's heart a bit of pride. He offered her eyes a bit of lust and he offered her tongue or her flesh a bit of flavor. These second thoughts adulterate our oneness with God. When you want to have faith, you have to think the thoughts that God thinks. You cannot waver by the doubt. You cannot waver by the faith. I'm sorry, you cannot waver by the doubt. You cannot waver by the fear. You cannot waver by the flesh. These are important things to understand. Um, it is the work that we are given on this earth to do, really, to make disciples of men, to spread the gospel, but also to transform our minds. It is an edict that God gives us. It's not something he will do. He has fixed our soul and our spirit and our heart, but it is our mind, the transformation of it, that he has given to us. And it's absolutely important that we understand what it is that we are supposed to do. You know, um, let's go ahead and look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And we have to remind ourselves this. I beseech you, therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We can't even begin to know the will of God in its entirety for our lives until we begin this renewal process. It is our job. Is his will good? Is it per perfect? Is it acceptable? 
We have to begin the renewal process to have one mind, one that agrees with the law of the Lord. And finally, our heart, God, and finally, you know, in our heart through God in Christ, we can see this very same thing in Ezekiel so that we can understand what has God done in terms of our heart and in terms of our spirit. Let's read Ezekiel 36 and 26. It says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. But, you know, there it is, that triune trifecta, as we are made in his image, heart, spirit, and mind. And what did he say? We love the Lord with all of our heart, all of our spirit, and all of our mind. And it is that part which communicates with our heart and spirit, and also our body, which is under the law of flesh that we must transform. The mind is the trigger for believers. It is where the battle truly wages. It is where the double-mindedness and the doubt seeks entry. Peter began to sink when the sights and sounds around him impressed, impressed upon a mind that listened to the world of the flesh more than the internal world of the spirit, which is the word of God that Jesus Christ beckoned him to come to him. So I'm going to leave you with this one scripture, and it's going to be Isaiah 26 and 3. And it says, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. To be stayed means to support. That word stayed on you, his mind is stayed on you, it means to support, to lean, or rest on. Can you be like the Shunammite girl in the Song of Solomon who came up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? Our relationship with God must be so. And if we are to adequately display his image in the earth, we must rely, rest, and lean on our spouses, even in the bonds of marriage. And now let's look at that perfect peace that we all want. Shalom. In the Hebrew, that means completeness, wholeness, soundness, welfare. It means one. And that is what our mind must be. It can't be divided, not by fear, not by doubt, and not by flesh. We have to remember those areas. That wholeness means nothing if it is broken. We have to be whole. We have to seek oneness. So I hope that this Bible study blessed you. I hope you will glean out the scriptures from this study and you will learn from it. And if you need to accept the Lord into your uh, heart, just hang in there and we'll have an opportunity for you to do that. And for all of you who have um, hung in there with me on this Bible study, I pray that the Lord gives you revelation and further understanding as you meditate. God bless you. you for being a part of the one love live love walk bible study i appreciate you but perhaps you've stumbled onto this bible study and you're not yet become a believer i want to encourage you to take the time to accept the lord christ into your life i want you to know that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that the lord jesus is lord that you will be saved if you can go ahead with me, close your eyes and pray. Oh Lord, I pray right now that you would forgive me of my sins. 
I will, will repent of my sins right now. That is, I will turn away from all the sins that I have done from before until now. And I want to seek to follow you. Lord, open my eyes and my heart to your truth. I accept you into my heart as my Lord and Savior. And I accept the Holy Spirit as the comforter and guide in my life. Continue to lead me. And I thank you so much for hearing my prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. If you prayed that prayer, then you are now a believer. And I want you to believe in your heart. And if you have a chance, reach out to me and let me know that you receive the Lord. There's ways that you can contact me if you look in the description of this uh, Bible study. And I look forward to hearing from you and helping you on your love walk. Don't forget to sign up for our devotional emails so that you can be encouraged in your faith and grow. God bless you.